10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Champions! Wrexham are promoted! They have their storybook ending! Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Wrexham Texan. My name is Jake Green. Thank y'all so much for joining me today. Go follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can on Facebook, but uh, my Facebook is not that active. Um, WXM Texan on both. Uh, what else? What else? You can watch these streams on my company's website, peacefulc.network. Um, you can watch this and two other shows I produce along with two or three others that are coming in 2024. So um, yeah, head on over to peacefulc.network. Um, we're going to launch a uh, basically a media network, like a company that puts on other people's products as well as our own. Um, and you're going to be able to stream all that for as little as $1 a month. So that'll be coming hopefully in 2024, hopefully January, if things go well. Um, Holy crap, y'all. What a game. What a game. We went into Meadow Lane and came out 2 nothing victory. How about that? Um, I mean, it, it was incredible. It was a fantastic game. Uh, let's see. I haven't even looked if there are highlights out yet. But, I mean, the game was intense all the way up to the 65th minute, maybe. 65th minute. Um those are the extended highlights. I don't. I do not have time for the extended highlights on this show, um, but yeah, in that 65th minute or 63rd minute, whichever it was, uh, when Elliot Lee scored that that game-winning goal, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's see. I do not believe. Oh wait, is that it? There we go. You know, we're gonna watch two minutes of these highlights. How about that? Let's do that real quick before we start talking about the match. Here we go. Turn that, turn that down a little bit. I mean, there were so many chances that I thought Langstaff was going to put one in the back of the net. He, he, That dude is so good. It was so fun watching Knott's play again. Um, I haven't since last season. Uh, I need to keep up with them more often. What, like, I don't even know how that ball got to Mullen. Um, it was the one where Mindy cranked it across the, the goal line. It was nuts. Um, then Mullen has to go fetch this one. I mean, this, this, this whole game was just neck and neck. Lee almost put that one in. Slocum is a phenomenal keeper. I can't believe he had to fight for his position again. Um, I realize he's a little older, but that dude can still play. Um, Mullen with the cross, fantastic cross, then kicked right out to Lee with that. I thought that shot was going in, but Slocum got another hand on it. And then here's Mr. Elliot. Oh, no, that's not the one. Yeah, I'm not really sure where the foul came in here. It could have been Tozer. 
I can't, I couldn't tell, but uh, yeah, Elliot calling for the ball, gets it, drives around. You think he's going to shoot right there. So does the defender. And then he gets right past him, smashes it off Tozer. Could technically be Tozer's goal. <laughs> um, I believe it was hit off Tozer. It could have been hit off the Knots defender. So uh, Elliot Lee doing his thing. And then they came right back down and scared us. I mean, Arthur Aconqua, what a save. What a save. That saved the game right there, because if they'd have scored that, we'd have lost momentum big time. And then Mullen with the perfect pass. Boom. Right in the back of the net from Ollie Palmer. What a play. Seal in the game. That was it. I mean, they still had 28 minutes to play, including including stoppage time. But, man, after, after that Ollie Palmer goal, you kind of felt like that was it. They weren't going to score again, or they weren't going to score. We were, we had it in the bag. Um, they did give us a couple scares after that and more during the game. But uh, overall, what a game. What a match. That was so much fun to watch. Uh, me and my wife were watching on the couch, um, screaming at the TV. It was just intense the whole time. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it lived up to the hype. Considering the last one ended in, uh, with a PK that Ben Foster blocked. Incredible. Um, so, yeah. I mean, overall, I thought it was... Just, I thought every single player played pretty well. Um, I don't think anybody was glaringly horrible this time. There were a couple mistakes made, but nothing that we didn't recover from pretty quickly. Um, George Evans made one mistake, uh, but Tozer was able to clean up. And... Thought Mindy went down for good within the first few minutes. Um, Tozer wasn't even on the sheet today to play. And then Tunnicliffe got hurt in warmups and he was brought from the reserves onto the, onto the field. He just skipped right over the bench. So that was an interesting move by Parkey. Was not expecting that at all. Um, let's go over some stats here. Uh, let's see. Possession wise, they destroyed us yet again. 63% to 37%. Um, dual success rate, similar. Aerial duels, similar. Interceptions, 6-6. Six, six. Corners, 10-7. to seven. Um, Yeah, they did not convert off corners. And they do the short corners, which I, I much prefer short corners as opposed to just launching it in the box. And we're going to talk about that. So I, we, I have on a special guest today. It's a Knotts County supporter. And uh, I'll introduce him here in a little while. Uh, let's see. Distribution. They had 514 passes to our 290. So they had 224 more passes than we did. Um, their passing game is so dang good. It's so fun to watch um, Knotts County uh, handle the ball because they're so good at it. They know where like, they just have really good chemistry. Um, and it's it's really fun to watch. And they they spread the field out wide. Um, which does leave them vulnerable, which again, we'll talk about um, with our special guest here in a bit. Um, but man, it's fun to watch them. It's, it, it, it was a fan. It was lived up to the hype. It, it, it's a two verse three game. And that's exactly what it felt like. Um, passing accuracy was great for both. Uh, let's see. Crosses, similar. Crossing accuracy, similar. Um, like I said, these two teams are very evenly matched. Shots. Um, we talk about uh, the attack attacking in the interview here in a little bit let's go on the defense we had 11 tackles they had four our success rates were about the same 
19 to 11 clearances. We conceded 15 fouls. They had six. We had three yellow cards. They had two. I thought that their team flopped a lot, especially Jody Jones. Um, I talk with my guest quite a bit. He gives me the background on Jody Jones, which I didn't know. Um, and so my respect for him has gone up since the game ended, but it's hard for me to give my full respect to people who, who take dives and flop around on the ground um, and act like they're hurt or act like they got touched, which is why Mullen just isn't on my top five list of favorite players for Wrexham. <laughs> He's I love Mullen, but man, uh, yeah, he flops quite a bit and that kind of stuff drives me personally nuts. I know it's part of the game, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was such a fun game. It's, it feels so good to come away from an away game with a victory versus a top two team. Um, let's go over and look at the league table. Stockport still crushing it. One again, um, 35 points in the table. We are tied in points with Knott's County. If we had scored one more goal, I believe we'd be up, um, up on them. So we'd be second. They'd be third. We are in automatic promotion zone at this exact moment, and um, that bodes well for the second half of the season. Um, let's see. The lowest, Sutton has 10. We have, what was it, 30. So three times better than Sutton. Is that, I don't know, is that fair to say? I don't know, whatever. Either way, uh, we got Mansfield right behind us. We've got Crew, Morkum, and... I'm assuming that's Morecambe. I don't know how to pronounce everything um, over in the UK, but and then Accrington Stanley, uh, they'll they're in the four, five, six, and seven spots in the playoff hunt for promotion at this point in the season. Um, yeah, what a game! I've been smiling all day. It's made my day very happy. And uh, after that, Texas A&M, my Texas A&M American football team also won. So it's been a fantastic day. And then tonight, my Texas Rangers baseball, for those who give a crap, which probably aren't, isn't many of you. Um, they play game two of the World Series. And we, I don't believe we've ever won a World Series. Uh, I used to be a insane Rangers fan. I would go dress up or paint myself for the games. Me and my brother and our friends would get in for free because we... Um, came up with this whole shtick that we had and we would lead the crowd in chants. It was awesome. Um, so I am looking forward to watching the Texas Rangers play the Arizona Diamondbacks tonight uh, for game two of the World Series. But today I have an interview with a Knotts County supporter. He's been a Knotts County supporter since at least, I believe he said 1998 or 1999. So he has been he's he's been a supporter for a very long time. Seen them through thick and thin. Um, loved the fact that they got promoted last year, obviously. Uh, so without further ado, Mr. Luke Midup. Luke Midup, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Jake. How are you? Pretty good. That was a heck of a game today. What what are your first? What was your first reaction um, at the end of the game? Once the first was reaction was. 
I was disappointed we didn't get anything out of it. I don't mm. think we deserved to win, but I think a draw, a tie would have been a reasonable um, mm. result. Um, I think we were just we were just lacking the final pass. We were yeah. we were doing quite well in terms of getting getting into Wrexham's half. We were passing the ball around quite nicely, which is pretty standard for a Luke Williams side. It was just that last that last pass yeah. um, that, that didn't that didn't quite come off today. Um, I have to say, I think Wrexham. I think Wrexham did what you need to do against this Notts County side, which is mm. don't give us time and space. Yeah, on the ball, they were very, they were very good. They were very good at closing us down, not giving us, not giving us time to play. Mm-hmm. The only, the only other team, the only other team I've seen do that to us this season is Mansfield, and they absolutely humped us. We lost four wow. uh, one to them. So okay, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I we a bunch of the Wrexham supporters were a little iffy on the starting lineup for this game. And I think Parky... including a good self, actually. Yeah, yes, yes, for sure. Um, and I think it ended up proving to be the correct lineup because of the fact that we didn't give y'all any space. I think that like we played the matchups more than like our best squad, which was an interesting route to go. Um, so... Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think we're also missing. I mean, we're also missing John Bostock. I yeah. don't think we are. I don't think we are quite as sharp as a team without John Bostock. Yeah, that uh, makes sense for sure. Because, like, this is a this is a guy that when he was sixteen, Barcelona wanted to sign, and you can kind <laughs> of. I'm not saying he's Barcelona quality, but you can see why in a teenager they might have thought he could be. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah, he drove me nuts last season when we were playing, y'all. I, I hated seeing the back of his jersey because you knew he was going down to do something awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's just very good at controlling the game, getting the ball, playing the simple pass. Yeah, you know, just just recycling, just recycling the ball, basically controlling the midfield. Yeah, I thought Slocum, despite the two goals, was outstanding. He was. He, he was. He was absolutely. He was absolutely outstanding. Um, and he's come in the last few games because he didn't start the season as first choice goalkeeper. We bought in Aiden Stone oh, wow. over the summer because basically I think because Luke Williams thinks Aiden Stone has better distribution, is better with the ball at his feet um, than Sam Slocum. Um, but Sam signed a new contract on the understanding he was going to be back up, mm. and he's he's fought for his place. He's fought his way back into the. T- Team, which you, you've got to respect, particularly, you know, Sam Slocum's 36, 37. Mm, yeah. 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 It's a hard, you know, it's always hard to fight for that goalkeeper position because there's only one of them on the, on the pitch. So, but I, I love how well y'all, do, I, I love your short goal kicks. Like I wish more teams would do stuff like that because it allows you to keep possession and get more time and a little bit further down the pitch before you distribute it. Yeah, and the the idea behind that is to draw the opposition forward, to draw the opposition mm-hmm. onto you, and yeah. open up gaps in midfield and defense. Yeah, I thought y'all, yeah. I, mean, I thought y'all did that really well. I thought Slocum was fantastic on that. He, I mean, I'm sure that he makes y'all a little nervous sometimes when he holds the ball oh. just a second too long. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and you know there have been times this season and last when it's all gone horribly wrong, and it just looks. <laughs> Like the most ridiculous goal to see <laughs> yeah. ever, but it works. It's it's effective. 
It's like the it's like the other thing is the way Luke Williams sets his team up. We almost never play long corners. It's always it's almost always um, short corners. And somebody asked them why, and it's just you look at the stats and actually crossing crossing straight into the box from a corner is actually a really unproductive way of scoring a goal because the angle the angle the cross is coming in at is wrong. It's too close to the keeper. Right. Generally, and it's too easy to head out. So playing the ball short and back and getting a better angle is actually more effective. Well, that's how I always play in FIFA. That's yeah. the easiest, easiest way to score in FIFA is do the short yeah. short corner. <laughs> Not that anything in, in football is like FIFA. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um well, what do you think? Like, let's let's go back to the first half because the first half was just neck and neck the entire time. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the, the the first thought is Paul, Paul Mullen should have been sent off. End okay, off. here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, so I I agree with you partially. I think what drives me, I love Paul Mullen. He's a great goal scorer. I love him on our team. But man, what drives me nuts with Paul Mullen is how much he tries to draw dumb fouls. Yeah. And like he, he put in this particular instance, I do think he could have injured. Um, I forget who, who he was over there. It was, jo- it was, jo- it was, Jody it was Jones. Jones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, like, I feel like he probably could have injured Jody Jones in some, like if, if it had just gone slightly differently and I yeah. definitely think he deserved the yellow card. I'm not convinced he should have been sent off, though. So, what makes you think he should have been sent off? Well, I mean, because because you're not you're not allowed you're not allowed to do that. You are not allowed you are not allowed to kick out an opponent. That mm. is a red that is a red card. It really doesn't matter with what it really doesn't matter with what force or intent you do it with. You're not allowed to do that. That's the way you. the that's the way the rule is written. Um, the other thing is, I I thought I thought I mean I think. I think Wrexham had a plan to stop Jody Jones. I think I think Phil mm. in his enthusiasm, you know, monitor as they put it on the show, <laughs> he clearly he clearly sent them out with instructions to close down um, Jody Jones because if you watch the entire game, every time Jones gets the ball, they're doubling up on him. There are two yeah. there are two guys going to close him down at least every time he gets every time he gets the ball. Um, and I think that I think that was reasonably effective, but I think men, I think Mullen in particular and Mendy, mm-hmm. um, second half mm. really threw themselves in, I mean, really threw themselves into into a couple of challenges. I mean, you said that Luke Williams should have been appointed the, the English national diving coach. I'm gonna have to, <laughs> if, you, if, you were, if you were sitting here right now, Jake. I would get a glove and slap you across the face and demand satisfaction. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I I do think I it's it's hard with the camera angles that we get in these games. It's not Premier League cameras. You don't get, you know, the nice slow motion, like perfect angles from everywhere on the pitch. So I I maintain, and until I'm proven wrong via some type of video evidence that at least five of the times a Knott's player went down, he was barely touched, if not if touched at all. Oh, sir. <laughs> oh, sir. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I thought it was I thought it was for the mo- I thought it was for the most part quite an even game, and these are two yeah. sides. You you can t- you can tell they are where they are and why they're there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I I think you know. 
Wrexham has had an enormous boost from more from the documentary than from mm-hmm. Ryan and Rob because I read an Athletic um, article a couple of weeks ago that actually made the point that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, beyond the initial purchase of the club, haven't actually had to put that much money into Wrexham mm-hmm. out of their own pockets because the documentary has allowed them to basically get the kind of sponsorship that, that yeah. is just impossible, yeah. you know, in League Two. Uh-huh. So I, I think it's worth, this is, this is always my, this is always my, this is one of my slight gripes with the documentary because compared to like a Premier League club, obviously Wrexham are a fairy tale, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Wrexham are a small club, but in a National League, League Two context, you know, no other club could consider dropping half a million quid on a player, mm. half a million pounds on a player. Right. It's it's not. It wouldn't ever happen. Um, it's true. It's true. There, you know, there have been it, it, a lot of people have complained about the success based on the fact that it was the documentary and it was two Hollywood people coming in that have nothing to do with football. Um, and while I agree that like it puts a bigger spotlight, I still do think like you still got to perform on the pitch and like a yeah. lot of things can go wrong. There's not going to always be, you know, you have to have all, you still have to have all the right players, all like the right manager to manage those players. Like uh, Absolutely. You know. And let's, let's not, let's get this right. I would, if this had been a, if this had been the boot on the other foot and Ryan Reynolds and, Rob Michael Henney had come and taken over. No, yeah. so you know, I'd, I'd be, a, I'd have been over the moon at that. Obviously, right. I, I mean, these are these are good guys. That I think they're in it. I think they're in it for the right reason. Yeah. Um. I think they. I think they understand, as all good club owners understand, that the club doesn't actually belong to them. They mm. are custo- They are custodians of yeah. a club that came before them and a club that will go on after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing for an owner of a football club to realize that your name, your name may be on the legal documents, but you don't, you only own the club in the legal sense. Right. Absolutely. And I think you're right that like all their actions seem to indicate that they are in it for the right reasons. And they like put, try to put the town first and they know it's like the lifeblood of, of the town of Wrexham. So I, I, yeah. I do, I do like that side of it for sure. Um, what were, so y'all had a lot of chances on goal. We had a lot of chances on goal from there. Let's, I'm going to bring up some stats so we can look at them real quick. Um, let's look at the attack first. Um, yeah, y'all had 16 shots, six of them were on target. We had 15 and eight of them were on target. What were your, because y'all had a, it, it seemed to go back and forth quite a bit where we had like 10 minutes where we were on the attack and then vice versa. So what were, what were some of your highlights in the game? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think, uh, you know, I'm never going to criticize Macaulay Langstaff. Macaulay Langstaff is a god, but he should have, he should have, he should have scored, he should have scored in the first half. Mm. I think, I think, uh, I think again, not going to criticize David McGoldrick, but I think there were a couple of chances he could have done. I, I never liked the shot stat because not all shot, not all shots are created equal. It doesn't Correct. really, it doesn't really tell you that much mm-hmm. about about the quality of a shot or how hard he made the goalkeeper he made the goalkeeper work um i mean i think with the way we play we are always we are always 
at risk of being drawn into that kind of basketball kind of game because mm. we tend to we tend to we tend to play we tend to play with a lot of width. Yeah. Um which 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 leaves which leaves us vulnerable to the counter through the middle of the pitch or along mm. or a long ball belted <laughs> belted over the top. Right. I mean that's one of the things I hope we fix in January. I think we could really do with like a big hulking mm. seven foot center half, basically. <laughs> I love the sound uh, of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean watching y'all's like the way y'all pass and the way y'all move the ball around the pitch is really fun to watch. Like there, I don't, I don't enjoy like purely enjoy watching opponents play very often, um, especially against us and like watching y'all it's it just, it's so much fun because y'all just play yeah. fantastic football out there. And I mean, I mean, this is, this is the thing as well. We, we got like 16,000 in today mm -hmm. and that's the second time we've done that in successive home games. And I think it's not just because we're playing um, winning football, although obviously I think that's a prerequisite, it's that we're playing football that's fun, mm -hmm. that's fun to watch. And actually, I think it's important here to to give the owners, the Reitz brothers, Chris and Alexander Reitz, uh, some credit here because I don't know if you know this, but their business that is, they, they, basically, they basically were a sports data company okay. well that's how they've made their money is by um setting up these data models that then they can then sell to bookmakers hmm. to set odds basically so they're not they're not bookies in themselves they're a data analytics company interesting um and so in a lot of ways they're the opposite of ryan reynolds and rob McElhenney because they came into the club with very fixed ideas about how football should be played right um, and so what they've done is in the, the three coaches they've had, Neil Ardley, Ian Birchnell, and now Luke Williams, they've all played roughly the same way. And each coach is sort of built on what came before. So hmm. I think I think that the Reeks brothers and Ian Birchnell and Neil Ardley deserve a lot of credit for the way we play. The problem, the problem with that can be that if plan A isn't working. Plan B seems to be to do Plan A better. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put that. I yeah. Like that so, <laughs> so I, 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 so yeah. I think, and this is the thing: when Luke Williams moves on, and he will, I dread that day because he's a really mm. good coach yeah. and a really nice guy. But I think he will move on mm. to better things. It's not like the next coach that comes in will have a radically different way of playing. Right, because the owner, the owners will pick a coach that wants to play football according to the principles. Yeah, they've sort of laid down. Yeah, and there's there's something to that. There's a. Did you ever see the movie Moneyball? Yeah, they, I mean that that's that's yeah. you've got to think of like Tony Bloom at Brighton or the the guy at Brentford who I'm blanking on his name. But they they run they have similar business backgrounds to the Reitzers and yeah it's it's very moneyball it's very data driven. Mm -hmm. um, Is it Matthew Benham? Yes, that's the guy. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and I I like that side of it for sure. I mean the fact that like here in the states with baseball that's kind of where it started with with our sports over here is uh, you know the Oakland A's 
brought in somebody who was just all about the data, all about the analytics, nothing else. It didn't matter. You made weird baseball decisions as far as like looking at it from a traditional standpoint. And while it worked for like a season, it didn't work once the playoffs were around because it's a, it's more of a, like it's, you need that yeah. length of the season for everything to average out. Yeah, yeah, um, I've, I've read, I've read the, I've read the the Michael Lewis book and seen the go. film. So yeah, I, I know, I know yeah. what you, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so like, I don't know how. Like, I guess in 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 football, it kind of makes sense because there there aren't playoffs unless you happen to you know get in the not not get in the top three in League Two. So um, it it could very well be massively beneficial um, to to focus mainly on the analytics. Do you do you like that style of i mean yeah i mean it, this is the this is the 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 best period of this is the best sustained period of football i've seen knots play and i've been following knots um since the turn of the millennium since like 1998 okay. um and I, I don't do it anymore because i've sort of grown up but back in back in my 20s you know me and my brother literally went home and away to every single every single game so i've seen a lot of knots games over, I've seen a lot of Knots games over the years. Um, and I think what's what's reassuring about this is the problem, you know, successful teams succeed in a lot of different ways, mm. but teams fail in one very particular way. And that's when the manager and the players aren't lined up. Mm. Um, or this is my sort of theory mm -hmm. anyway, because, the you know, there are a lot of different ways to coach football there are a lot of different formations and tactical setups mm -hmm. that you can use within games and managers will have their own approaches and what i've seen with knots is the owners will bring in say a kevin nolan who is a bit like phil parkinson likes to play the ball quite direct likes to get the ball in the corners quite physical sets his teams up that way mm -hmm. and then that doesn't work so well or isn't producing the results, so they bring in a Harry Kuehl, who is totally different, wants to be a, a League Two Guardiola. And and that can't work because you're asking you're asking a set of players to do something that they're fundamentally not comfortable with. It's like turning an SUV into a Formula One car. <laughs> they're kind of the same thing, but not not really. Right. And it doesn't work. And like if I were if I were a sort of looking forward with Wrexham, that would be my concern with Rob and Ryan going forwards is do they have a vision, mm. not just for how they want the club to succeed, but how they want the club to play. And I think that's where somebody like Sean Harvey, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think having him on the board yeah. is an incredibly smart decision because yeah. it's not, it, it might get in my experience, it's not enough to say, hire a good manager you need to hire a manager who fits mm -hmm. with the club and who fits with the existing squad of players or you need to back that new manager enough to completely reassemble to completely reassemble the squad right yeah and i think yeah i think uh the yeah they needed someone like sean harvey because they're knowledge of football was so little like yeah yeah the first like three episodes they're you know learning what offsides is and like what all these different things are it's like you like i can't i can't personally picture ever buying a club 
that I have no idea how to actually play the sport. That that, yeah. is, that is a crazy endeavor. Like that yeah. blows my mind that they did that. <laughs> it is, but I think like I mean Sean Harvey, like like the, like they explain in the documentary. You know, he has been he has been at clubs on the up. He has been at clubs mm. that have nearly gone bankrupt. He knows he yeah. knows the EFL and the power structure that actually runs league football probably as well as anybody alive. Mm, yeah. Um, so it's, I, th- I thought it was really smart to to have him at, at the beginning of the project. And I'm not sure how, obviously we don't really know how it works behind the scenes and who's making a lot of the decisions, but to have that right. voice there, I think is, I think is really, sen- is really sensible. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely don't know everything. This, the documentary this season, I'll, I'll discuss a couple of episodes after we, we hop off this, this interview, but uh, it hasn't shown as much of the behind the scenes stuff as it had last year, especially when it's related to the, Oh, hang on one second. I don't know what happened. I just heard dogs yelping. And when I went in there, they were all just staring at me. So no worries. <laughs> um, do you remember what I was saying? What I was talking about? Oh, the uh, you were talking about not as much, not as much behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, we have Flora Robinson too, who's been in football for her entire daggone yeah. life. So like we, we have massive football brains behind the operation, which is great. I, I do wish we got to see more of how that worked. I know she requested to not be in the documentary series, so it's kind of hard to yeah <laughs> to show that side of it. But um, it would be nice to know like a little more that goes on behind the scenes with the decision making and like how they how they run the club. But maybe they're just trying to play that close to the vest. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it would. I think it would make sense. I think it would make sense if they if they did a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah. What did, what did you, what did you make of the game? Man, I was, I was on, on the edge of my seat the whole time. Uh, I thought, I thought it was very evenly matched. It was definitely a number two versus number three match. Like that was just yeah. like, it's, it's clear that there are teams in league two that are starting to distance themselves. Like we're at the point where, you know, stocks, I mean, Stockport's absolutely crushing it. Um, and so, you're you're being able to see the the difference in quality between between teams separate a little bit and so watching watching this game i mean i i'm a huge elliot lee fan he's my favorite player on the squad for sure and so i we've been relying on him a lot more this season especially with mullen being out in the first six or seven games whatever that was um so it's no surprise to me that he was the one who ended up knocking it in or maybe knocked it off one of our other players, but it was either Kyle Cameron or Ben T- or Ben Toza. Yeah. Probably, a, probably a little bit of both to be honest. Yeah. And it, yeah. yeah, it just seemed like he used them as a ricochet to, to bounce it in the goal. But I thought I was just super impressed with Arthur Conquo mainly our, our goalie. He made some fantastic saves. Um, and yeah, similarly, that, that, yeah. that, that guy, if football doesn't work out, he should become a boxer because he's got amazing reach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he does. His arms are ridiculous. I mean, just like I love Mark Howard and I, I he did so much for us to get us into into League Two last season. But man, 
Arthur Okonkwo is just a completely different kind of keeper. And so watching him play today, I mean, I gave him like the player of the match on for the, for the Texan of the match, as I call it on my, okay. on my channel. Um, yeah, I gave him Texan of the match just because he made some killer saves um, and that y'all, y'all pummeled us for a little while. And uh, he was able to, to parry, parry a bunch of shots or parry a bunch of passes that could have, could have been really dangerous. So um, I was impressed with that. Um, I I mean, the whole, I, I was worried about the lineup from the beginning. And like, I, I personally don't think Sam Dalby should have started the game even still. I don't think he did enough. I think he missed opportunities where he should have at least put one on goal. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Ollie Palmer playing over, over Sam Dalby. So I don't know. Um, overall, as, I mean, obviously, as, as, as an outsider looking in, I have a question for you. Yeah, go. What? Why doesn't Luke Young play more games? We so I, I I'm in a Discord chat with uh, a few folks that we hop on a call after the games, and we were discussing that exact thing where we're not certain um a, a couple of them said well he's not the most athletic he's not the fastest he doesn't make the flashiest plays um he's like he's very similar to ben tozer in that regard where he's just like a solid player except recently tozer has been less than solid yeah um, but today tozer was great um and so i don't know my thinking might be james jones is a little more athletic which is who luke young would come on for um, like it's one or the other. James Jones seems to have a little more speed, uh, which might have something to do with it. There's some some theories out there that Luke Young and Park and Phil Parkinson might have had a tiff for some reason, but I, I can't imagine that would be the case just because Luke Young doesn't seem like the kind of personality that would face off with with the manager. <laughs> um, I, I, mean, I don't. I just I don't mean, know. He, he just to me every time I've every time I've seen him play, he just gives you so much control in midfield because yeah. he's so he is so good on the ball and he's just got such a good range of passing mm -hmm. and he's just so difficult to get the ball off. Yeah, and I you know this is probably like my own personal biases about how football should be played, but I take that I take that over pure athleticism like any day of the week. Yeah, I agree. He he almost never makes like mistakes. You know, he's he's just a solid midfielder, and I I, I agree. We a lot of us are concerned which, as to why he's not playing, um, and he's he's the best captain we've got. Like he's calm, like level headed, can actually talk to the refs without screaming at them. Like he's yeah yeah. I I, I miss his leadership out on the field. That's that's for sure. So I we honestly I I've not heard any legit reasons why he's not playing uh, so okay. I, I i couldn't tell you like okay that that's that's interesting yeah i mean as far as as far as the rest of the season maybe i'll come back when we do the when we, when we do the reverse fixture nice um in the new year but i mean you guys you guys are going to be up there because you've already got you've already got a very good squad mm -hmm. and let's call a spade a shovel you will you will you will be a, you will be able to spend money in January, whether that's completing the Luke Armstrong right. um signing or whether that's whether that's spending that money someplace mm -hmm. else. Um so I, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna be you're gonna be up there. Yeah like the the longer term concern for the 
for the project that I have, and I'd like to get your um, take on this, is what happens What happens to the documentary the season you finish 12th <laughs> and are knocked out of the Cups really early? Because that will happen, and it's like, yeah. how, do you, how do you make compelling television out of a humdrum, going nowhere See, this is of consolidation? It's funny. That's funny you should ask that because this is basically what I was going to address at the end of this episode is my thoughts. on So this particular season of the documentary series, I think we've seen 11 episodes so far, and um, I think seven of them have not been about what's going on with the first team and that and it was the biggest season. It was the biggest season. Yeah, we broke national league records. <laughs> and we're not, yeah, and we're not focusing on the first team. And so what I I think the documentary, in my personal opinion, is making mistakes where all, these seven episodes that were that like talked about completely like things that are completely off the pitch and have you know have stuff to do with the town and have to do with the organization as a whole and are actually good episodes should have come out in a season where we have a down season. And so, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it because they're well, going to have to have more of those during those seasons. Yeah. And know? I mean, this is the thing, a down season is fine. A relegate, you know, a relegation fight that, that is, that is compelling, you know, that is yes. compelling television. Yeah. What I'm saying is it's the season you finish 12th where you, right. you go, you go, you're just going nowhere fast. Uh -huh. um, and you know, that, that is the, you know, as in, as in, you know, talking about your beloved Aggies, that is that is kind of, you know, the life of a sports fan. And that yeah. will happen to Wrexham at some stage. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, how do you get a documentary? How do you get a documentary out of that? It's, it's not going to be compelling TV. I think they'll have to do more stuff focused on the town more often, focused on stories behind the, like the, the supporters off the pitch and some of the, some of the off pitch struggles of like the players and stuff like that, or triumphs or whatever. Um, because you're right. Like finishing mid table is not compelling whatsoever. It's, it's, it's boring. And like, Texas A&M, my Aggies are doing that exact same thing this year. And like, I forgot who we were going to play today because I've, you know, it, it, there's no stakes anymore. It, it, we're going to finish middle of the pack. It's going to be a boring season for the rest of the season. Um, I'm going to watch each game and I'm going to cheer my face off for them. But man, it, you're right. It, it does not make compelling TV to be, you know, 12th out of 24. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, that, it, it, it that would make yeah. a huge challenge for the director. And, and, and this is the thing. It, it's a it's a bridge they will have to cross at some mm -hmm. point. It's, yep. inev it's inevitable. Um, yeah. And it could be. I don't know. The, the I don't think the documentary can go on forever. I think it'll be it'll. I'm guessing it'll probably be done within five seasons. Yeah, I would have. I would have. I would have thought so. Yeah. Unless there's some if we make some crazy run where we keep getting promoted like every year, or every other year, then maybe, but like the, I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> really difficult to do. Yes. I mean, Luton who have gone on the journey Rex mm -hmm. and want to go on, you know, from yeah. the national league to the premier league that, that took them, you know, five, that was five promotions in nine. That was five promotions in nine seasons. Right. Yep. Um, and that, that was a, that was crazy fast. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was for a whole variety of reasons they should never have been in the national league in the first place. So mm. 
yeah, a lot of that was just natural recovery to like a meme. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if that's the journey Wrexham want to go on, I mean, if it happens in five seasons, good luck to you. But I, I don't <laughs> think it will. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so either. I think that'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, well, what are your thoughts on, on the league table right now? Because it's looking pretty good for both. I mean, o- obviously, if you'd offered it to me at the beginning of the season, I would have snapped your hand off. <laughs> I thought we, I thought we'd do I thought we'd do quite well mm-hmm. because you you don't break you don't break points records like uh, mm-hmm. we did and like Wrexham did and then get up into League Two and struggle because honestly I don't think there is a massive difference mm-hmm. these days between the National League and League Two to be honest although I was the, I was feeling very differently about that when. Sutton beat us 5-0 on the opening day. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've we've tailed off a little bit, but I think what you have to bear in mind is this month we played like four of the top six teams. Mm, yeah, that um, so we we've got we've had we've had a, a tricky period of fixtures. So yeah, I'm happy with second. I think we'll I think we'll be I think we'll either be in automatic promotion or another playoff campaign come the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And even even if we miss out narrowly, that's not a bad start to, to sure. life back in the league after after you know five years in the national league. The other thing is we managed to keep we managed to keep the playoff winning team more or less intact, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't think I didn't think we would do. Gotcha. Uh, I can't lose players. Yeah, I can't understand for the life of me, why no one came. I'm, I'm really glad they didn't, but I can't understand for the life of me why nobody came in for Macaulay Langstaff. Interesting. Um, I can't yeah. understand. I can't understand how we've still got, got Kyle Cameron. That guy mm. could, that guy could easily do a job. Yeah. Um, that guy could easily do a job in league one. So the only big player we lost um, was Ruben Rodriguez, who mm. went on to Oxford in league one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've replaced him very well in Dan Crowley. Okay. I mean, Dan Crowley is not the same type of player as Ruben Rodriguez, but he plays the same position and he does he gives us he gives us a different he gives us a different angle of attack. And obviously, I don't know if getting Dave McGoldrick back to Notts County mm. uh was a dream come true because Dave McGoldrick um he's actually kind of bookending my Notts career because I remember watching him as a 16 year old coming yeah. out of our coming out of our academy. Wow. And just everybody going, this this guy's going, you know, this guy's going to the top. And he did. He played Premier League football. He's been mm-hmm. capped. He's been capped by the Republic of Ireland. And he's exact in like as a 35-year-old, he is exactly the player you thought he was going to be <laughs> as a 16-year-old, which is to say he's really big, he's really strong, but he's also really quick. Yeah. Um, and he's got a good touch of so getting him back. Um, you know, we really shouldn't have been able to do that. We got him rather in the same way that Wrexham got Ben Foster. Okay. Yeah, uh, last that season. Sense. In that he's coming to the end of his career. His his family are all big Knots fans. He's a big Knots fan, and he's never made any secret of the fact mm-hmm. that he wanted that he wanted to end his career at Knots. And yeah. so he's so after being League One leading scorer last season, he decided to to drop down a division. Mm. And sort of see out the last few years of his career with us, and he's still unbelievably fit. Yeah, um, for a guy of his age. In fact, actually, at the playoff final, I was sitting about three rows over from him, 
his mom, his dad, and his brother. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love those kinds of stories. I love people coming home to finish their careers there. It drives me nuts when, like, here in the States, American football, if a player plays for the same team for, like, his entire career and then leaves the last two years, that kind of thing drives me yeah. nuts. So, like, them coming home, doing full circle, I mean, that's a great story. And, like, it's it's great that he's been a Knots fan basically his entire career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, he came through our academy. He came through our youth system. Yeah. Um, and and in a way, he's and in a way, he saved the club because yeah. or he was a big part of why the club stayed afloat. Because yeah. when we sold him, we we really desperately, we really desperately needed the money. To be honest, interesting. Um, and I think a lot a lot of Knots fans, you know, at the time were really were upset about that because this was a sixteen year old kid that we'd seen a handful of times, and the club had to do what the club had to do. Right. But I'm re I'm really I'm really glad we got to see him again, and I'm really glad he got to have the career mm -hmm. that you thought. Because sometimes you can look at a 16, 17 year old, eighteen year old, and think this kid's going to the very top. Mm -hmm. I remember I remember thinking that when we had Jack Grealish <laughs> um, on loan in like 2014, yeah. 15, and you could just tell that this kid was so much better yeah than the than the teams he was playing and you got, you got the same thing you got the same thing with Dave McGoldrick so I'm just I'm really I'm really glad to, I'm really glad to see him back at the club nice uh, but like I said we wouldn't this, one of the things I like about this not squad is it's got a lot of players you wouldn't think you would get in league 2 because the club have taken a chance so mm -hmm. for example Jody Jones your favorite player <laughs> should should never be playing League Two football. Mm. Shouldn't happen. He was playing Championship football with Coventry, right? Doing well, and then he does his ACL. Yeah, uh, recovers from that, and then immediately does his other ACL in the mm. other leg. Um, ends up getting released. You know, thinks about thinks about retiring. Mm -hmm. Gets picked up by Oxford. The manager at Oxford who picks him up is almost immediately sacked. New manager comes in, doesn't rate him, or at any rate, doesn't trust his fitness. Yeah, and so, and so we, and so we get him. And like, it's just, it's just really nice to like listen to him being interviewed because you can tell the guy's just so grateful. Okay, to be to be playing professional football again when he when he thought he probably wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Like Dan Crowley, who I talked about a moment ago, we got him off Morecambe, but he sort of started off as a, a teenage prodigy. Mm. He was uh, in, a, in the academy at Arsenal. He was in the academy at Villa. Um, sort okay. of, for one reason or another, kind of lost his way. Yeah. Sort of drifted down through the divisions, ended up at Morecambe, and now ended up with us. And again... You just feel like listening to him that he needed to find a club that he could think of as family, and he seems to have found that uh, not. Nice. So it's just it's it's a good it's a good squad of players that you want to root for because they seem to be they seem to be nice guys, and they seem to be. I think like like a lot of the Wrexham players, it's like like you said in the last episode, it's nice to see people going to clubs, mm. you know, for the right reasons. Yeah. 
Yeah, you may. Okay, you may have convinced me to reevaluate Jody Jones. I, <laughs> okay. I like that story. Um, however, I do think he dove a couple of times <laughs> today. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair and di enough. diving drives me nuts. Like I, I'll call it out when Paul Mullen does it because just diving just drives me insane. Yeah, I know it is, it's part it of the is, sport, but it is come the on. It is the bane. Is the bane of. Um, it's the bane of football. It really is. It really is. It, it, yeah, it just pisses me off. That's why I love it when players don't. And like, if, if you're, if you're not going to be out there diving, then you have a chance to be my favorite player. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we get out of here, what are your thoughts on, on the rest of the season? What do you, what do you think, uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, like I say, I would, you know, generally speaking, if you are up there at this, at this stage in the season, you, you're generally somewhere around there at the end okay um you know there's the old adage that you don't bother looking at um league tables until everybody's played 10 games mm. uh well now now we've played 14 so i think we'll be i think we'll be there or thereabouts i'm not saying automatic promotion but i think we've got a good chance of a, another playoff campaign the one thing that does worry me is and this is this is deliberate luke williams has talked about this we have a small squad um and that's deliberate in that the club wants to, the club wanted to prioritise getting quality in over quantity mm -hmm. um, over the summer. And Luke Williams, you know, says he likes to work with uh, you know a tight knit group of players, which is fine. But if you get a run of injuries and suspensions, uh, right. we're gonna we we are going to need to call on players from the youth system, uh, and you know we'll see how that goes. We had a kid come on against Newport in the week, a kid called Mamadou Cisse, who okay. came on for about 20 minutes and did very well. Okay. There's a kid called Charlie Gill that a lot of people that watch the youth team seem to think is very good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just, I, I worry. I think that's my biggest concern is if we get a, if we get a rash of serious injuries, yeah. we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be short, particularly particularly in midfield and going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it also, I mean, I like that. I like <coughs> Williams like mindset of, of wanting to work with like a small number of quality players, like, and know, like know how you fit together inside and out, you know, like, and, and get that um, chemistry going. Whereas if you have too many players, I feel like the chemistry could be thrown out of whack um, if you put in the wrong lineup. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, th I think that that's easier to do in the national league where you don't have to deal with the transfer window and you can, right. bring, you can bring players in until quite late in the season. Right. But now we've, now we've got, now we've got January and that's it. Yep. Um, basically. So I, yeah. I, I, I do, I, I do, I do worry about that. That I think is my biggest concern. Well, that makes sense. Well, Luke, it's been fantastic talking to you. I'd love to have you back on when we do the reverse fixture. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, you want to shout out anything that uh, you want people to follow? You want you want people to follow you on? Yeah, Twitter or I like um I normally don't podcast about football. I normally podcast about various things, sci-fi and fantasy. So okay. I'm part I'm I'm part of the Lawhounds Network. So um, hi Alicia, David, Jean, and John. So the show I do with my co-host Alicia Brenner is called Wool Shift Dust. Okay. And we look at the first season of Silo on Apple TV. Oh. Alicia has Alicia has read all the books. I haven't read any of them, so <laughs> I am the noob to her to her sage. And I also do a podcast 
called It Could Be Said with a couple of mates from uni. We talk all things British politics, international politics, and occasionally football, actually. Okay, Luke, these sound like shows that I would love to listen. Silo is fantastic. It really is. Really yes. is. Yeah, great, great series. I cannot wait for season two. Apple TV is slow to release season two, though, for every series they make. It's yeah, I've just I've just started watching For All Mankind, and that, that the first nice. few episodes of that have been awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. It, for All Mankind is interesting. It, it takes some interesting turns in, se- in the following seasons. So, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so okay. B- buckle up. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate you coming on. No, it's been it's been fun. It's been fun, Jake. Really love the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, let's uh, we'll we'll yeah we'll hook back up for the net for the reverse fixture and uh, yeah I'll put all your details if you want to follow his uh, if you want to follow Luke's podcast you can click all the details in the uh, in the description of the episode. So there you have it. So that was Luke Midup. We wish Knotts County well for the rest of the season, but not too well. Just just like how about one game less than us for the rest of the season that I can live with that. Um, just something where I would love for them to get promoted along with us again. I, I love the rivalry that's being created um, and I love that we can keep it civil between our fans and theirs for the most part. I mean, there are still bad apples on both sides, but I love having opposing um, opposing fans, supporters, whatever on the show, because uh, you have a lot to talk about. You can disagree on a lot of stuff, but you also agree on a lot of stuff. And it's just fun talking football with people you don't normally chat with. So great dude. Um, definitely going to check out a couple of his podcasts. And like I said, check him out in the description. Um, and, and yeah, go follow his, his other podcasts. All right. So normally this is the point where I do a review of the previous episodes of Welcome to Wrexham. However, today I'm going to do a much more general review of the series because I have mm, I have some personal problems with <laughs> with what's happening with the show. Okay, so I've said many many times on this on this podcast how I don't like offshoot episodes. I don't like episodes that go away from the story. When they happen, it's fine as long as they don't happen very often. I started watching the show and got hooked on the show because in the first season, there were 18 episodes and I believe 15 of them were primarily focused on the first team and their quest to get promoted. Um, And it made it an engaging story. It had a like through line from the beginning to the end. You knew what the objective was and you were heartbroken and it just built up suspense. It built up a fantastic story surrounding um, or fantastic, like little stories surrounding the primary story. Um, And it just made the first season uh, far, like very, very entertaining, suspenseful, engaging um and just told the story in a really good way um and so this season has been extremely different and i'd like to start by saying i actually don't think there's technically been a bad episode i've enjoyed every episode for what it is um so 
I'm trying to figure out how to explain <laughs> explain this properly. Um, there have been 11 episodes so far. I think there are only going to be 15 episodes in the entire season, which is three less than last time, which I don't care for either. I don't like going less than season one. Um, I, I want to see the story of the promotion. And I'm sure a lot of you do too. There were, Wrexham was in the National League for 15 years. And this season of Welcome to Wrexham is about the year that we got promoted. And while it is telling great stories, such as the women's club or the women's team, the, uh, the coal mine disaster, uh, there were a few other episodes I'm blanking, but for now, basically there are out of the 11 episodes so far, I believe there are seven offshoots of the main story. So it's, it's 60%, 65% of the episodes so far have not been about the primary objective of the season, which was to get promoted. Um, we've signed, we signed so many new players last year. There were so many new faces and there was a lot that happened on and off the field that I think was incredibly important and entertaining and should be, in my opinion, the focus of this season of the documentary. Um, in that interview with Luke, he made a fantastic point, which got me thinking, and I kind of explained a little bit of it during, during, the, during the interview, but he said, during those seasons when you're mid-table um, and you know, you're know you 12th out of 24, what is the documentary going to be about? And that is that's a fantastic question. And the way I answered it, as you heard, was basically it makes it hard to create a story. It makes it really hard to create a story when there's really no stakes. Um, there's no stakes when you're 12th, like you can't get relegated. You can't get promoted. So where is the suspense? What is the story? So these seven episodes of what has been happening off the field that has nothing to do with the first team getting promoted. All of them, I believe 90% of them should have been saved for a season like that. Um, because I do like the stories and I think the episodes are really good. Um, they're well-made, they're well-produced. Um, they show really important things um, surrounding the town of Wrexham and in the community and um, the, you know, the women's team and the other teams involved in the club. But what they don't do is progress the story of us getting promoted, which was the story last year. Like that was it. That was it was do or die. Like if, if, if we didn't get promoted last year, the club was going to lose tons of money, which would put it in a very precarious position um, as far as being able to stay afloat, considering what the pay budget was, what the salary, what, how much salary we were paying to all these players that we brought on to get us promoted. And so they set it up at the end of last season that we have to get promoted that, this season by this season, I mean, obviously last season, but um, we have to get promoted. We will get promoted. It is essential that we do. And 
they did not stick to that story like they kind of said they were going to. Um, and it's been driving me a little crazy. Uh, and like I said, there it's, it has nothing to do with the episodes that have been aired because the episodes that have aired have all been enjoyable and progressed a storyline, but haven't progressed the storyline that the show is technically about. Um, how many times in season one did they talk about getting promoted and the need and desire and want for, to get promoted and how much that would help the morale of the town, the morale of the team, um, the financial prospects, the, ec the economics of the town and the club. Um, like how often was that mentioned in the first season? And then in season two, we have almost not focused on that at all. Um, there, there, there have been a couple, I think four episodes out of the 11 where we've focused only on that. Um, and the rest, we just haven't. And yeah, it's, it's, it's driving me crazy. It reminds me. So, uh, this is also probably going to be an un unpopular take, but it reminds me of the show, Ted Lasso. For those who watch the show Ted Lasso, I believe Ted Lasso's first season was one of the best seasons of TV maybe ever created. Um, it had the humor. It had it had every single emotion in it. It was well acted, well written. It had a perfect storyline. Um, it had maybe a couple tiny minuscule flaws throughout the whole thing. And then in season two, it abandoned the primary storyline. It, it completely wiped out anything that happened before that, before season two, nothing really mattered from what, from whatever happened before. Everything was different. Everything was weird. They went really caricature-ish with a bunch of the characters. Um, they went in a terrible direction um, and I think ruined the show. Um, a lot of people still loved it. I think a lot of people, once they get attached to things, they they stay with it um, and they'll continue to like it pretty much no matter what. And that's fine. That's just not me. Uh, I I definitely am more of a critic um, of film, obviously, because I'm in the industry. So um, actually, I was a critic before. Uh, I just I just want I just like good story and the storyline in season two of Ted Lasso was, uh, was absolute garbage. Um, they hung on specific issues for far too long. They got really political and, um, uh, they got really political with it. Um, they started like bludgeoning you over the head with social issues that had nothing to do with the show. Um, and they did a, they, Here's the thing. In the first season of Ted Lasso, they put these tiny little political things, not, not so much political, but cultural things in the, up, in, the, in the season, in the writing. But they did it in a way that didn't just smack you in the face. Um, and so in the second season, basically, they just took like a shovel and just smacked you right across the head with it and just like used it as a tool to bludgeon you into agreeing with what they what their overt message was um, in whatever episode or whatever, whatever um, storyline they were talking about. And that it ruined the show for me. 
Um, it, it became less about the team. It became less about a soccer story with surrounding, <laughs> surrounding little mini stories and personal stories. And it became only about what was happening off the field. And it was very contrived, um, very weird at times. Uh, not, not well written at all. Like it was definitely the fault of the writers. In, in my opinion, I, 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 I disliked the whole second season. I gave the third season three episodes and it was the exact same thing. So I just stopped watching. And so what I don't want is for that to happen with this show, because it is a fantastic story and it's a real life story. It's something that actually happened. Um, and I want them to do the story of us getting promoted. I want them to do it justice. I want them to make it the big deal that it was. And they could save it in the last four episodes. I don't know, but they could. Um, and if so, I'll get back on board and I'll start reviewing, you know, doing detailed reviews of the episodes again. Um, but I wanted, rather than to do reviews of the past two episodes, I want to talk about this. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for today. Uh, I apologize if this is uh, frustrating or annoying or offensive to anybody. Wasn't my intention. These are just my thoughts. You can always count on me to be uh, brutally honest and share my opinion. Um, and if I don't know what I'm talking about, um, you can inform me of such. Or most of the time, if I don't know what I'm talking about it and I know I don't know what I'm talking about, then I just won't talk about it. Um, so... Yeah, if you disagree with me, if you want to have it out and argue with me or debate me on this show about about the the season season two of Welcome to Rexham or season two and three of Ted Lasso, you're welcome to come on and 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 do it because I'd be interested to hear. No one has been able to properly convince me that season two and season three of Ted Lasso was good, and I have a few friends now that are agreeing that season two of welcome to Wrexham is not what it should be. And they brought it up before I did. So that was, that was telling. Um, so anyway, like I said, the, these two episodes this week, Gresford and in Cody, ah, was that the name of it? I'm going to, I'm just going to butcher that. What an idiot I am. Let's see. Yeah. In Cody, if that's how you pronounce it. Um, good episodes. Just, they're not, the storyline that I have, that I expect and think the show deserves in season two during one of the most epic seasons ever. I mean, it was literally two teams broke so many records to try to fight for that number one position, and they've barely covered it at all. That's what's driving me crazy. So that's all. Um, Thank y'all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Um, feel free to reach out through Twitter um, or Instagram, WXM Texan. I'm happy to, uh, to interact with anybody who wants to. Um, thank you to Luke Midup for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, y'all have a good week. Up the town. You're gonna see it And if you knock my soul Oh, with all your strength You're gonna find it You're gonna find it